It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Go big or go home. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Nats Insider Podcast for another week. Got a good episode for you today. Going to be joined by Johnny DePuglia, the Nationals' assistant general manager in charge of international operations. Johnny has long been the Nationals' top international scout most famously signing Juan Soto, among many, many others, and has done a fantastic job getting the Nationals' international operations to a place where they're consistently providing the Major League Club with ballplayers from various Latin American countries. So, had a good conversation with Johnny D recently. We'll play that for you in just a minute. Also be joined on the podcast this week by Nationals bench coach Tim Bogar. Talked with Bogey about everything that's going on with the club of late. Things getting turned around in terms of the win-loss column a bit on this road trip. Also talked about some of his work with individual players on this year's roster, Victor Robles, Josh Bell among them. And we got into Bogey's coaching history and his relationship with Davey Martinez and what has made the two of them such a dynamic duo. First, though, let's hear from Johnny D. Johnny DePuglia was named International Scout of the Year a few years ago, won a ring with the Boston Red Sox a while back, now has one here as a member of the Nationals front office and has done fantastic work in international scouting and development. Let's play now my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Johnny DePuglia. Johnny D, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Glad that you have me on. I love getting a chance to, to talk with you. We, we run into each other during the season a couple times and then spring training a bit. And I was down at Instructs uh, this last year. So I got my eyes on some of the international talent that you've brought in uh, in past classes. But first, before we dive into any of that, I want to talk to you about this most recent class that you guys signed back in January, headlined by... A name that some in the international scouting communities believe is the top prospect that came out in this class. He's an outfielder. His name is Christian Vaccaro. And I know that you're fired up to get this kid. Give us all a scouting report of Christian Vaccaro and what Nats fans can expect to see develop over the years to come. Well, we, when we first started uh, putting our eyes on him, he was probably 14 and a half years old. And uh, he's probably 6'1", 150 pounds. He still had a really good running skill set set for his age. He ran a 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, six, and the next time I saw him, he was a little stronger. But what mostly impressed me about him was he was on the field at 7.30 in the morning every, every time I laid my eyes on, which is rare for a young kid. And he was in a rural, very rural part of the country where it was like a farm. And uh, <clears throat> so he was very motivated <clears throat> to get better. To the point now, we're right before we signed him, he's six three, about one ninety. I've seen him run about. I've seen him run the sixty in a six three skill set. He's got a plus arm. 
He grasped to uh, hitting from the right side. He's a natural left-handed hitter. You know, he throws right-handed, so we always try to implement the right-handed swing due to the fact that he's right-handed. And he grasped to it, and his actually right-handed swing now is probably better than his left-handed swing. So we're talking about a middle-of-the-field guy that can run, can throw, got a good chance to hit, got a little bit of power, and he's got great makeup, you know. So I'll put a guy like that in our system anytime I get a chance to. We paid we paid a lot of money for him, but that's what you have to pay when you when you got a skill set like that. Yeah, no doubt. You've put good talent uh, in this system in the past. We know the names, and you've got a track record of success. And when you give a guy like this this type of of money, you you've got confidence that he can develop. I, I personally, Johnny, I'm not a scout. I know that. I don't love comps on 16 year old kids just because I feel like it's not fair to them. They're, they're going to grow so much in the next handful of years, both in terms of their, their physicality, in terms of their mental makeup, that comping a big league player on them doesn't really seem fair. But in terms of tools, in terms of skill set, what type of a player do you think Christian Vaccaro can become? Well, he's, He's got the skill set to be a franchise type player, you know, a guy that you build around because of the ability to do everything and the size factor. I mean, he's got just as much tools as Victor Robles when we signed him and he's six, three and he switch hit and he's a switch hitter. So, uh, you know, like I've always said, if you, if this kid was born in the U S uh, Nick Saban and, and all these college recruiters would be at his house trying to get him to be a wide receiver because he's a premium athlete. So that's, that doesn't indicate that he's going to be a hell of a player, but we'll, we have a, a team in place that will give him the structure to be the, the best that he can be, and it's up to him. You know, there's a lot of obstacles that he has to overcome to become a major league player, but we'll, we'll, we'll help him get there, and hopefully he, he does that. Johnny DePuglia, the Nationals Assistant General Manager and Vice President of International Operations. Johnny, he, he's a center fielder now. You talk about him being a middle-of-the-field type guy. It probably is too early to answer this question because you need to see the kid grow. But if he does pack on some muscle, could he move to a corner outfield spot or do you see him sticking in center field long term? I see him sticking in center field because I've seen him make plays in center field that I haven't seen in a long time. And this guy goes to the gaps as good as anybody. He dives at balls. Uh, He ran in a gap one day when I was out there and he caught the ball and he jumped over the fence. Well, he right before he caught the ball, he jumped over the fence, came back over, and kept playing. I never seen that before. He made diving diving catches with with the, the glove behind the back, which I had to stop because I, he was going to have problems with his shoulder. But this kid, he was like a wizard out there. Some of the stuff that he did, and he's and he's the kind of kid that works at his trade. When there's BP going on, he's in center field trying to catch everything. So, I mean. I can be wrong, but I, I, I see him as a center fielder. Johnny, Riz likes talking about when he signs a, a player, a major league player to a long-term contract. He loves saying that you're signing the person as much as you're signing the player. How much when you are getting to know these kids and deciding whether you want to give them you know, a hefty signing bonus like this, how much are you getting to know the kid beyond just their baseball skill set? To me, that's the number one part of the evaluation. That's a credit to the area scouts that go in the house and, you know, go to the grocery store and go to the principal of the school that he's going to and find out the makeup of the kid. Because 
signed a lot of kids that are talented, but their makeup isn't up to par. That'll catch up to them down the road. So that's to me is the number one, the number one part of the evaluation is the makeup. Trying to find out what kind of family he has, the the core issues, the education, what we can help him, what, the core issues so we can help him get better. But if he doesn't have a good uh, good core base, that uh, that apple that falls off that tree falls, you know, gets to be rotten when it lands on the ground. Yeah, no doubt. Johnny, I wanted to ask you more broadly just about the international signing process. Uh, this is something that a lot of fans here in the States don't really know about. And to be totally honest, probably don't even hear that much about until maybe a few days before the actual signing window starts. So if you could peel back the curtain just a little bit in terms of what this, this time is like for you leading up to the actual signing window, what, what all goes into it in terms of your area scouts and then you swooping in and, and meeting these kids and, and making the decisions that um, end up with these young men in the Nationals organization? Well, like I said earlier, it all starts with the area scouts. The area scouts gather the names. They gather the information. They put them in the funnel. The, uh, <clears throat> the supervisors, the cross-checkers come in and make the funnel a little smaller. And then our new international director, Mike Kalahia, comes in and, and puts the exclamation point on the, uh, the player so I can come in and evaluate and put a price on him and see if he's uh, – the type of person that we want with the curly W on the front. Like we know it's all about the curly W on the front, not the name on the back. So, you know, that's the, that's the structure we've had here since I've gotten here. And I, what I put in place with the other organizations I was in, and I'm going to continue to follow that, but it's all about the area scouts. They have to funnel the player into the funnel so we can evaluate them down the end. Johnny DePuglia, the Nationals Assistant General Manager, Vice President of International Operations, and a couple years ago, the International Scout of the Year got that award from Major League Baseball, and we're thrilled to have him in the organization and have him here on our Nats Insider podcast. Johnny, I wanted to ask you, uh, looking back over the last year or two, once you sign players, you turn them over to the, the player development pros and you're around and you you keep in touch with these kids because they're important to you but you're not the one that has the hands on them as much as the the coaches at the minor league levels the instructors that said you do you know keep tabs on guys that you have signed in previous windows so if you could give fans a little a little glimpse into some guys that you've signed in the last one two three windows that are impressing you and are some names that you think nationals fans might potentially see at Nationals Park here in D.C. in the not-too-distant future? Well, obviously, uh, Armando Cruz from last year, the shortstop, I, I have a very uh, good feeling about his future. Uh, Jeremy De La Rosa, who we signed in the past, uh, which that one season that they took off really hurt him. We have a couple of really good arms, a guy named uh, Juan Abreu, who we signed for 10000 who's touching 99 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour. And there's a couple other pitchers that are uh, from from Panama that have really good field of pitch, like a guy named Atencio. And, and uh, there's, a, there's a left-hander that we signed out of Venezuela, and I can't remember his name, that I really like his field for pitching. But there's a good core group. And uh, what, what was impressive about them is they played in the Summer League last year. They almost, they almost made the playoffs. And I think it was the only team in our minor leagues that had a, <clears throat> a winning record. And, no, and none of the Rovers were able to go down there. So they pretty much played on their natural ability. 
But there's a good core group of, of, of athletic players and pitchers that pound the strike zone, which is something that, you know, we emphasize here because uh, you get to the big leagues, you don't pound the strike zone, you're not going to be around very long. Johnny, when you're evaluating talent, this is a broad question. When you're evaluating talent and, and you're seeing 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old kids, how do you, with all of your years of major league knowledge and, and understanding of what it takes to win at that level, how do you try and project these, these kids, these teenagers, into major league ball players? What does that uh, entail for you? Well, it, there's a lot of failure involved, too, in the past that allows you to get to a point where you say, hey, I made that mistake on that guy that looks like that guy. That's why I don't understand how major league clubs are hiring these guys that really never scouted to do my job. You know, this is this is a job of uh, of long tenure, many mistakes to create a lot of triumphs. And when when you when you got experience and you slow things down and the evaluating process is slowed down to the point where you say, okay, now it's up to my area scouts and my supervisor to tell me about the makeup and the, and the, and the information that's needed to move forward. It makes the process a lot easier. Now we're, we're, we're in an environment where it's all spin rate blast. It's all numbers. Numbers don't make the human numbers. Don't make the player and numbers don't make the big league big leaguer the, the the big leaguer is made by the person who's evaluating with his own eyes and has experience and has failure and has triumph and knows how to to go forward when he feels that that guy is a, a major league prospect you know or a double a player that when he gets a double a and he produces then he's got a chance to be a major league player so i'm kind of confused the way we're going about it i'm kind of happy about it because i hope clubs keep doing that because it makes my job a lot easier and some of the other veteran guys that do it, but uh, it's, 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 it's crazy the way it's, 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 it's going. And I hope that people put the human human element back into the game. And you know what else numbers can't quantify Johnny is the, the thing that you said is most important. And that's the person, the, the way that they were raised, the type of work ethic that they had, you can't quantify that by, by looking at the statistics. And so that's another opportunity for you with your deep roots and, and your, your crew, your international scouting crew, with all the connections that you guys have to maybe unearth some gems that are there that other people might gloss over or not even consider. You, you mean, you see me coexist with these young kids. I, I, I could get down to the level. I could jive with them. I could be stern with them when I need to. I can give them love when I need to. But that's a, that's a trait that I was, was given to by my parents. You know, you have to have that. You can't relate to a Latin player if you don't speak Spanish. You can't relate to a Latin player if you don't ever, ever had rice and beans or you've never danced salsa or, you know, there's different traits about the culture that you got to understand in order for you to understand it. And, and it, it baffles me that you're going to put somebody in, in my title that doesn't even speak the language. So, I mean, more power to them. Maybe they're, maybe they're going on somewhere that I, I can't see, but I, I like, I like to be, involved in the culture, understand the culture and be part of the culture to create the culture of having a Latin guy playing the big leagues. This right now is where we're going to pull up video of you dancing salsa. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to break that down. Um, <laughs> Johnny DePuglia, the Nationals Assistant General Manager, Vice President of International Operations. And Johnny, I can't let you go without talking about 
I mean, probably your best signing ever. He probably has to be because he's probably the best hitter in Major League Baseball now, and that's Juan Soto. You saw him when he was, you know, as old as Christian Vaquero is right now. What did you see in Juan Soto back then? He had outstanding makeup. He understood the the culture of the game, the history of the game. He had a, a, a feel for hitting that I've never seen before in my life. And I've been around a lot of big, good, big league hitters, Hall of Fame hitters. And he was a chin-up guy, professional. He was he was a, a Marine that that turned into a Green Beret. You know, he, and in order for you to, to be able to become a Green Beret, you have to be trained. This kid had all the ingredients to be to be that Marine that, you know, that becomes part of that special group, the Green Berets. You know, he's, you know, you see the way he handles himself. He's clean shaven all the time. He's, he's his haircut all the time. He wears a uniform the right way. He's a little flamboyant in some of the things he does, but that's because he likes, loves to play the game. And he's another kid like Vaquero. You call him at seven o'clock in the morning, he's up and working at his trade, which most kids at that age are sleeping. You know, they, and that's that's different. So, like I said, he's a dog that plays checkers. That's I'm sorry, you know, for repeating that, but you don't see a lot of those guys. You know, I love that saying, <laughs> um, Johnny. If I had, if I had told you back then that he would be the player that he is now at this age, based on everything you just told me, it sounds like you're you're saying you would have believed it. I did. I mean, I I put a pretty pretty high comp on him. I mean, he's still got a long way to go to, to uh, establish himself to be what he could be. But so far, the start of his resume is really good. But I mean, you, you, you don't see that. You don't I mean you see you walk the streets and when you see somebody that's different, you know, he's different. You know, it's the way he carries himself, the way he's dressed, the professionalism. And nowadays that's hard to find. You know, people are in a, it's a copycat society and everybody's uh you know, copying different people for whatever reasons. But this kid, you know, he's got his own drumsticks and his own drum and he beats it to his own beat. You know, that's just the way he is. He's just a different kind of guy. And I hope to God that he stays healthy and he's a national, at least for the rest of my career, which, you know, he'll probably be playing after I retire. But he uh, he's a special guy. and He's a guy you want to build an organization around for sure. Johnny DePuglia, the Nationals Assistant General Manager, Vice President of International Operations. Johnny, it's great catching up with you, man. Uh, love chatting ball with you. Love spending time with you. And uh, hoping to see you sometime in the very near future. Thanks for taking time with me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I hope to see you soon. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. All right. So we talked about a front office component with this Nationals organization. Let's go to a coaching component on the big league club and talk with Tim Bogar, the Nationals bench coach. He's been with the ball club since 2018, had a nine-year playing career as a big leaguer, played all across the infields, and has done a great job behind the scenes over the last handful of years. Started as the Nationals' first base coach for a couple years, has been Davey Martinez's bench coach for the last few. And I've gotten to know Bogey pretty well. He's an incredibly uh, kind, witty man and is very passionate about getting the most possible out of his players. He's incredibly approachable for really anybody, but especially the guys on his roster. You go to Bogey with anything, any concern that you have, anything that you want to improve upon, he's going to find a way to help you and... um, mentor you along the way so interesting conversation with you know you don't really get to talk uh beyond the manager to too many too many coaches at length in the course of a major league season these guys are working so incredibly hard but really enjoyed this conversation with the nationals bench coach tim bogar bogey how you doing buddy i'm doing great how are you i'm doing great thank you for taking time and joining me um I love catching up with you, Bogey, because you you give us a different perspective on on the game and what what the ball club is going through than really anyone else. We you know reporters and fans hear from Davey twice a day, every day, but we we don't hear that often from the other coaches, from the other people that are involved in the operation. So I love getting a chance to catch up with you anytime I get a chance to. I'm curious, first of all, coming off of the last homestand when the team was struggling, you guys had dropped eight in a row overall. How you and Davey approached that? and tried to go about getting the guys back on track, whether it was a collective message you gave or whether it was a more individual approach to try and get things going in the right direction. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Dan. You know, obviously um, losing eight games in a row is not what we're trying to do. Um, and it changes the dynamic in the in the clubhouse as you go through that. But um, you've known Davey long enough. You know how we work around here. Things don't change mentally for us we approach every day the same um like we've won the night before we lost the night before we just show up the next day and we try to win that day I know that's kind of cliche-ish and that's what Davey talks about all the time but it's the truth you know we uh we talk to these guys about what we need to accomplish that day to win that day and um whether it's a two game or a three game or an eight game losing streak um the next day that we show up it's the same mental approach and um, yeah, it's, it's tough when you lose that many games in a row, but we know that we have the talent in that room. We know that things are going to change. We had some things going offensively that weren't going our way. We didn't have our big bats producing. We weren't getting any big hits with runners in scoring position. And then we weren't making pitches we were supposed to make. And when we did, we didn't make the plays. So it was just a matter of cleaning some things up and, and uh, staying positive about what we're doing. And 
we know that we, we're capable of playing well. We know that we're capable of playing with anybody. And uh, we just got to keep going at it one day at a time. In your experience, Bogey, all your years around the game, how common is that collective approach of treating every day like it's any other? Are, are there teams or organizations that you've been a part of or that you've experienced that ride the emotional roller coaster a little more? Or do you feel like a lot of teams nowadays try and replicate things on a daily basis and make it um, as much of the same type of approach every day that they can? Well, I, I think that's the goal for every team is to take it one day at a time. Um, it's hard to do, though, uh, to get a collective group to do it because of the personalities within the room. Um, and the leadership in that room really makes a big difference. And I think that's the thing that most people don't understand is the message that's giving, getting delivered every night um, and every day, uh, the positivity, you know, the, the, the workload that we put on these guys and how we go about it. Um, you know, I, our thing is to keep them from thinking, oh, what's going to happen next to cause us to lose tonight? You know, if something goes bad in the third inning and not being able to overcome it, our biggest thing is to make sure these guys know no matter what happens, we're good enough to beat that other team. Um, you know, take the bumps in the road and, and deal with them and move on. And um, that's that it's an overall mindset. So with us here, that's what we're trying to do. Um so that, you know, it doesn't snowball and it just becomes that overall thought process when they walk in the clubhouse every day is like, woe is me and what's going to happen today to make us lose. Um, so I think that's the thing that we've we've accomplished here. I think these guys know every day they show up, we're going to try to win that game and we're going to do the best we can. Bogey, you talk to uh, you see some teams that are going through a rebuild, a reboot, whatever term you want to put on it, and they throw a lot of young talent out there on a roster and just kind of see how they handle the, the big leagues. There is some of that on this roster. There is some youth, but there's also a lot of veteran guys. I mean, you signed Nelson Cruz this off season. You've got a middle of the order with Josh Bell and Juan Soto. Yeah. He's just 20, whatever, 23, but he's a veteran in terms of all that he's established uh, at the big league level and down the line. I mean, you've got Cesar Hernandez and Michael Franco guys that have been there and done that. Do you think, what does that dynamic help create for you guys in that room? What is the, still having a significant veteran presence do on a team uh, and kind of maybe help you go through those tough spells in a season? Well, you need those veteran guys. They're like your rudder on your boat. You know, they keep, they keep you going in the right direction. You know, even when they're struggling, they've been through it before. When they see the young guys struggling, they know how to talk to them about it and go, hey, we're going to get out of this. You know, we know that that's going to happen. Take my word for it. I've been doing it for 15 years, you know. Um, and when you have that from a player, um, it seems to have a really good effect on, the, on other players, on the younger players. Obviously, we as coaches, we tell them that we've lived through it. but We're not battling on the field with them every night. So um, it's good to have that veteran presence in there to, to pass along their experiences and to pass along their wisdom. And, and, you know, we do have those young players that do need the guidance that, that do need to hear it and, and do need to understand that no matter what they're going through um, it's going to be, you know, better on the other side. Um, so those, those periods of, of small 
small struggles don't last for long periods when the veteran guys put their arm around them or, or even have to button them up a little bit by telling them, let's go, you know, um, it really helps to have those guys, you know, like Nelly and, and, and Bell, even like Escobar talking with, with Foxy at shortstop and, and teaching him some things, you know, that he's gone through. Um, it's, it's invaluable. It's, it's just something that, uh, you know, I think it's a smart thing to do for good teams is to make sure that you have those guys in the clubhouse. Tim Bogart, Nationals bench coach, joining me on Nats Insider. Um, Bogey, I want to get to a couple of these individual guys on your roster and, and one younger guy that is trying to bounce back after a rough last couple of years is Victor Robles. Um, I, I know defensively, you work more with the infielders than, than you do the outfielders, but you're working with all of these guys, uh, talking to all of them every day, regardless of what, what position they might play. What has been the focus with Victor this year beyond the mechanical adjustment that we've talked about of getting his hands higher? What are you guys trying to preach to Victor to get him back to the guy that we saw in 2019 and the guy that all that his skills would indicate he's capable of being as a major league ball player? I think, Dan, I think the biggest thing for him is his confidence level. You know, I think it's one of those things where when you go through these rough patches, you got to still believe in yourself and you got to still understand that, you know, I'm a good bit. I'm a good ball player. I can still do things. I can still impact the game on, on multiple sides of it, both offensively, defensively. And I think when uh, when Victor was going through his struggles, um, you know, you, you have a tendency of maybe not trusting yourself as much and you start tinkering with things and you're changing things. You know, what our, our hitting guys have done with DC and, and, and Pat Rostler, making sure that he understands if he does things consistently, he's going to be okay on the backside of it. You, you still can do things. You can still impact the ball. You can still uh, use your speed to impact the game. You can do things like that. And as you've seen on this trip so far, he's had some success and some things have gone his way. And you can you can just sense his confidence growing when he gets in the batter's box that he's going to do something positive. And not just Victor, but all, all type of players, they, they go through that kind of thing. And, and that's our job is to make sure that we keep them focused on what they're capable of doing and how they're going to get there. Another young guy, Bogey, is Kbert Ruiz, who has – you know, any young catcher, I feel like, has a really tough job, especially when they get traded over to a new organization. They have entirely uh, an entirely new group of pitchers that they need to learn. Um, they're getting adjusted to the major leagues for the first time at a everyday level. So K-Baird has a lot on his plate. But I, I think, you know, we heard a lot about him when the trade happened, and we've learned a bit about him since. Peel back the curtain a little bit for us in terms of Kbert Ruiz behind the scenes and what fans should know about this guy and, and where the ceiling is for him. Well, the first thing I think you, you touched on it, Dan, is, you know, what an overwhelming amount of things that he has to learn, especially with these, the pitching staff and learning them and how to handle them. And then all the, the data and the analytics in which we go through and, and we give to him, we had to, you know, figure out what's best for him to, to, to be able to, to process it all and be able to do it in a way that's successful with the pitching staff. You know, we're still trying to learn him too. We haven't gone through a full season with him yet. We haven't, we haven't dealt with, with how he handles things as they, they happen, you know? So we're, we're still trying to learn um, what he's capable of, but what we are learning from him 
is that he's very, very intentive. He, he takes care of business. He, he wants to learn. He wants to get better. He wants to be that guy that the pitchers want to throw to. Um, you know, he wants to be the guy that's out there leading that core. And you need that, you know, as, as, a, as a team, you need that in a catcher. And obviously when we had a lot of success with our older catchers, you know, when Gomes and Suzuki were here, it was easier because they'd been in the league for a long time. So Ruiz is trying to learn all that stuff. And there's a little, there's a little growing pains with that. There's a little bit of, of him having to learn it, which is fine. That's part of it. Uh, but he's doing a good job with that. Um, and he's also trying to learn how to be a good hitter. You know, if you've seen him hit and you pay attention, he doesn't swing and miss. He just doesn't. So he has a tendency to be able to put any pitch in play, which, you know, at times can be good. And at times it can actually lead to, to uh, easy outs or, or not being very successful. So there's that little balance that he has to learn those type of things. And he has to grow in those aspects and, you know, I think Nats fans are going to understand that this kid's going to be really, really good. It, it might be a little bit of a growing period. It might take a little bit of time, but he's going to be here for a long time and he's going to impact our team for, for quite a while. I, I want to ask you about one more individual player before we move on to a couple other things, and that's Josh Bell. Um, I maybe jinxed him on the homestand when I <laughs> talked to you during a game about how great he's been defensively. And then there was little hiccup over there. Uh, and I'll, I'll wear that one. That's on me. Um, Bogey, I know you've been working really hard with this guy dating back to last spring training, his first time with the nationals. And I know what, you know, which is how hard this guy works and how right. good of a player he wants to be and how much he wants to improve the areas of his game that some people might not view as strengths. Um, what has the process been like with you and Josh and, uh, just speak to how good of a, a duty is, I guess, that, yeah. that, that he, he has this approach to the game and this approach to his daily life. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'll be the first one to say, I, I love Josh Bell. I love him as a person, number one, but, uh, as a worker, as a baseball player, you've already touched on it. He loves to work. He'll, he'll outwork anybody. Um, you gotta be careful about how much work we do. Um, but, you know, you, I think how you kind of got to set the background is where he came from, you know, when he got to us, um, the emphasis wasn't on defense, it was on him hitting and, and they just told him, don't worry about your defense, it's, it's whatever you do is going to be okay. Josh isn't that kind of guy, he wants to be a complete baseball player. Um, so our relationship has grown really, really close over, the, over those last couple of years, just working and trying to get him to understand the things he needs to do to be a really good first baseman. And as you've seen, you know, I think he's improved quite a bit, you know, and I give him all the credit in the world because he's the first one to say, Hey, come on, bogey. We need to go work on this. We need to go do that. You know, and I've gotten to know his personality and I understand what he's like. So every once in a while I'll suggest something to him and he's like, yeah, you need to do that. So we go out and we work on his throwing and his body position and things like that. Um, I, I think what you really need to know about Josh is this guy wants to be a complete baseball player. Um, I heard it. I heard him say it a little bit earlier this spring, you know, after he made a couple good throws the second when they try to, you know, go first move on the lefty and he threw him out trying to steal. He comes in and he, and he felt really good about himself. Um, and then the one play where he slid down 
you know, the first baseline. I don't know if everybody remembers that, but it was a ball that got away and he slid down the, the, the yeah. first baseline and threw it to second and we got yeah. the out. His comment to me when he came in, he goes, this is what being a real baseball player is like, isn't it? And I said, exactly. You, you are. And he has, he's accomplished that. And uh, it's so much fun working with him because he, he just wants to get better every day. Even if he's doing well, he just wants to get better the next day. So uh, we're kind of blessed to have him because he, he, he's a good example uh, of how to do things and the mindset it takes to be as good as you can be. And just a first-class human being as well. Unbelievable, yeah. Tim Bogart, Nationals bench coach, joining me on Nats Insider. Bogey. You played for, I think, nine years in the big leagues. Uh, you've coached for a long time. I'm curious when you knew that you wanted to be a coach. Did, did that happen during your big league playing career? Did it happen before that? Or did you hang them up and say to yourself, what am I doing now? <laughs> Maybe I'll go be a coach. How did, how did that all play itself out for you? Oh, uh, I wish I wish I knew exactly what it was. But, uh, you know, I was you know, if anybody ever followed my career, I was, I had to, I had to think the game really well to, to let my skills come out and be able to play for nine years. I wasn't blessed athletically as much as a lot of these guys strength and all that stuff. You know, I had a few, few good tools, but you know, my strength was being able to think the game. Um, and I got, I got a told to me in college by my college coach um, one line and it stuck with me my whole life. And it was, if you can't think you can't play. Hmm. And I've always used that. And I've always used that to my advantage. And the fact that, you know, you always pay attention to what's going on and you always try to figure out what the other guy's going to do before he does it, you know, and you know, that's, that's all baseball is, you know, it's the strategy part and attacking the enemy and all that other stuff. But I think I learned pretty early in my career that I wanted to coach, um, you know, as a utility infielder. So I watched a lot of the games. I watched a lot of the managers, you know, I paid attention to Bobby Cox. I paid attention to Tony LaRusso. I paid attention to how they ran the game and how the players played. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I think that with a combination of me having to figure out how to do things correctly to be able to compete at this level, um, I just wanted to pass that along to other players that were in my boat that, you know, they weren't as blessed, but they're, they're good. They're, they're talented and they just need a few hints to get to the big leagues. And uh, I've really enjoyed doing it. And uh, it's been, it's been a fun ride. I've learned a lot, but I've enjoyed being around, you know, Davey and our staff here for these five years. And um, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I just feel like it's, it's something that you help other people and that's what it's all about. Tim Bogart, Nationals bench coach with me on Nats Insider. And Bogey, final question for you, and then I'll let you get to work. Um, you and I talked in spring training about Davey and how, how long you've known him and how your, your relationship with him has grown over the years and how much you guys care about each other and love working with each other. Um, take fans into that dynamic and why it's been so rewarding and effective for the two of you and why it makes the manager bench coach situation with you guys work so well. Well, I think it starts, like you said, it starts with our relationship. You know, I, I respect him as much as anybody in this game. And I believe it, it's a two way street. I can't speak for Davey, but, um, and we've come to be, to, to be like brothers where we can, we can talk about things, you know, in a positive way. I can say stuff to him 
about negative things and he doesn't take it personally, he does the same thing to me. But we both know that if we share information with each other, the way we're feeling, we're, this team and, and the decisions that we make are going to be better. And, you know, it's not like Davey needs me to help him make all his decisions. That's not what it's about. It's just we have this really good dynamic where, you know, I might see things a little bit different at times and I suggest things to him and it, it, and he's like, oh, that's pretty good. Or he just tells me, you know what, keep that to yourself. <laughs> and that's OK. You know, and, and, and that's the thing. We both are OK with that. And, um, you know, I feel like it, when you have not just Davey and my relationship, but our whole coaching staff kind of on that same page, we, we make better decisions and we put our players in better positions to be be successful. And, and it, you know, sometimes it doesn't show on the field and end results, but ultimately these guys are growing and they're getting better. And um, that's all we're trying to do. But, um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed being with Davey these years. We, you know, we spent all those years apart, you know, we were together in Tampa for just one quick year. Um, and we were apart for a long time, but being able to get back together and, and enjoying our time together and not only, on the field, but off the field too. Uh, it just keeps us close and it, and it helps us drive um, this whole organization and, and, and the team that we have here in, in, in Washington. Well, Bogey, uh, it's been awesome having you. It's crazy that it's been five years, but it's been awesome having you around <laughs> these five years. And I certainly hope it's, it's many more to come. I uh, really appreciate you taking time with me, buddy, as always. And uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be rooting along with you this entire way. I appreciate it, Dan. Hey, do me a favor. Send me some good weather, would you? It's been yeah, nasty out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it your way. <laughs> Thanks. That'll do it for the Nats Insider Podcast this week. Thanks to Tim Bogar and Johnny DePuglia. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Go big or go home.